the best cow in your place will be the cow that produces the most pounds of weight, healthy weight, no problems, never having her in the sick pen, never pulling a calf. But she has your calf in season every year for the longest period of time. That's the most profitable cow in your herd. It's a simple equation, right? Hey, folks, and welcome back to another South Pole podcast. My name is Becky Zarzinski, and I'm your host for today's episode. Really excited about today's show, first and foremost, because this is the first one we've had in quite some time, so to apologize that we haven't had a new uh, podcast out lately, farm life can uh, take priority sometimes, and um, hopefully we'll get back into the swing of things and bring you some more episodes this year. So uh, the second reason why I'm excited about today's episode is because we finally have on a guest that I feel like we've been meaning to have on for quite some time, and that is the creator and developer of the South Pole Grass Cattle Breed, Mr. Teddy Gentry. And we go over quite a few things in today's episode, some of which include why he decided to create his own breed in the first place, what breeds he picked and why, what makes a good cow in his opinion, and what he looks for in his own herd, Plus, what makes South Pole grass cattle more economical than other breeds? So we cover quite a bit of information and um, just really just an eye-opening episode to, to talk with Mr. Teddy Gentry about today. Also, I want to give a quick plug-in before we jump into today's episode about the upcoming 15th annual South Pole Grass Cattle Field Day and Cattle Auction happening September 22nd, 23rd. Uh, of 2023, so just under a month away. And if you are listening to this episode before September 1st, go ahead and register yourself because you still have a chance of getting the early bird discounted rate of only $50 a person. After the first, it goes up to $85 a person. Either way, it's a great deal. And at this year's field day, we will be having Mr. Teddy Gentry and Greg Judy from Green Pastures Farm going to be speaking to us about uh, all things South Pole. So it's going to be a great event. It's always a lot of networking, great, yummy, uh, grass-fed food, and uh, just a great chance to um, catch up with your fellow farmers about grass farming, South Poles, and uh, just having a great time doing it. So uh, go to southpole.com if you want to register for that event. Without further ado, folks, let's go ahead and jump in today's episode with Mr. Teddy Gentry. Um, all right, so we'll, we'll get started. Uh, Teddy Gentry is uh, here today with uh, myself on the uh, South Pole podcast. Um, Teddy, thanks for joining me this morning. Oh, you're welcome, Miss Becky. Thank you for uh, asking me to do this. Yeah, I know you just got back from um, being on tour. How did that go for you? I did. We were uh, to Canada for our second time this year and uh, um, just got back home on uh Sunday afternoon, I guess it was, maybe a Saturday afternoon. Okay, so you've had yeah, a long time. I, I get, uh, yeah, I've uh, still trying to recoup and get my legs back under me. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't, I, I, I know for me, when I go on vacation for a couple of days, it takes me a couple of days just to get back in the swing of things, so I can only imagine, um, but that kind of leads me, I know you, you have a very successful music career, and for anyone who doesn't know, Tay Gentry um, is, is the, um, is a player in the band Alabama, and has had a very successful music career. 
Um, but that's always led me to this question of, you know, you are the creator and developer of the South Pole grass cattle breed. Where and when did this idea of, hey, I'm going to create my own cattle breed come into play? And maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background in agriculture as well. Well, um, actually, I, I didn't know anything about cattle growing up. Uh, I bought my grandfather's old cotton farm uh, in 1980 when I got my first check from RCA literally didn't know what to do with the, it was about $62,000. And I asked my wife, I said, what, what am I going to do with this money? And she said, why don't you buy your, your grandfather's farm where you were raised? Uh, so I, I went to my grandfather and he said, he'd be happy to sell it to me. He had 60 acres. And that's really what started me, uh, uh trying to put together a, a ranch or a farm there, a grass, uh, cattle farm. Uh, but I didn't, you know, in 1980, I didn't know anything about cattle. I didn't know one end of a cow from another one. You know, me and Randy went together and bought some uh, neighbor's Herefords. Uh, they had about, uh, I don't know, 25 or 30 heifers for sale. So me and Randy went in and, and bought them. He'd pick one, I'd pick one. I didn't know what I was picking. You know, I said, that looks good. You know, come on. But uh, kid, the kids showed cows for a couple of years and um, uh the cattle that we would uh, take and show didn't seem to work very good in the pasture when we get them back home. They were weren't weren't adapted to the environment and the fescue. They didn't like fescue, uh, which was our main grass. So, um, I, I wound up buying my adding to that sixty acres over the years there in the early eighties. Bought my great grandfather's old farm and another neighbor's farm. Anyway, we we put together about three hundred acres there now that we're running cattle on um but about 80 85 or 86 uh, i guess it was really about 84 when i started thinking about i better learn something about the cattle business if i'm gonna be in the cattle business so i, I subscribed to all the magazines beef magazines i could and i bought all the beef books i could and um at daytime, if I had uh, a day off and we'd play that night or something, if, I, if there was a driving, a farm within driving distance of of uh, the venue, I would try to go out and visit with as many old cattlemen as I could uh, across the country and try to pick their brain. And so over about a four year period, I actually put myself what I consider going uh, through college uh, in the back of a bus. I uh, had all my stuff spread out in the back of the bus. Randy normally had the front lounge and I had the back lounge. And so I just spread all my stuff out and I'd study and look at, and it, like I said, uh, over a four year period. But, um, but what came apparent to me down a uh, very apparent that um, we didn't have all the tools we needed in our toolbox to, in the South to, uh, to produce a tender piece of meat. Um, I started uh, really, as I studied my lesson, I looked at a lot of uh, shear force data from universities and every time that Brahma, I'm not blasting any breed, but I'm just telling the honest facts. You're welcome to look, look at these facts yourself. But every time Brahma came into the picture, uh, the more Brahma that was in the mix, the, the tougher the meat was. And this is, uh, as, as my studies developed over the years, then uh, I told my wife one night at the supper table, I said, <laughs> We need to breed a cattle here in the South that's uh, adapted that uh, don't have Brahma in them. And she said, well, uh, there's no such thing. And I said, yeah, I said, I th I'm thinking about maybe trying to do a, 
a composite breed. And that's really what started the dream. And so over the next couple of years there, then I, I the, the first breed I came into that really uh, kind of put things together for me was the centipoles, the centipoles from the Virgin Islands. And uh, the fact that they could, uh, in one generation, I had, I, had, I had a centipole bull and put him on some pretty unadapted red Angus cows for my environment. Um, the red Angus were the least adapted breed that went into the South Pole. So uh, I needed a lot of help on pulling the hair off of them and the centipole breed in one generation, it, it, it would slick them up. And and they were also very gentle. And, and uh, as we started developing, we, we, we thought the meat would be very tender. And as we started developing the breed, the first uh, uh, F1s or the first half-bloods we had out of our red Angus and centipole crosses, the first years that we had, uh, we, we tested at uh, Colorado State University and a friend of mine, Rick Lacey, and another friend drove the car, putting them in a the car and, and, and turned the air conditioner on low as it could go. And they drove them up to, up to Colorado State University and unload them and they did the carcass work. And they called me back a few days later and they were so excited. They said it was so tender, you could cut it with a butter knife, you know, after the, so. Um, so we, we felt that, that that end of the composite was good. So, um, so then I started looking, I wanted to use her for an Angus as a base, red Angus, because uh, I wanted a, a light color to be more adapted to the South. But um, it was, um, it was, uh, I can't, I, I, a friend of mine in Missouri, Frank Felton had Hereford cows, me and him became friends. And he's the first one to ever turn me on to the Barzonas. Uh, uh, he said, he said, if I had to try to make a living uh, we, we run these uh, commercial cows. He, he said, I'd probably have bars on her for crosses. He said, they're it's an awfully good cross. And the bars on us are very, they're called the hardy breed. And said, uh, so I started studying the bars on and looking at them. And uh, they, they seemed to fit perfectly in with, with what I was trying to do as far as uh, they brought a lot of good things to the table. They were, uh, Mother Nature had done a good job of selecting those cattle out there. Uh, in Arizona, the Bard family had the same problem I did. I guess they, the Hereford Angus weren't not adapted to that tough environment out there. So they went to the King Ranch, if I understand it right, and they got some Afghander bulls um, one year they leased and put on their Hereford Angus. And then maybe a couple of years later, they might have used a couple of Santa Gertrude's bulls. But uh, that's the only place where a little bit of touch of Brahma came into the mix. But by the time we got it down to the Barzana, we figured that they were uh, it was a small percentage of the Barzana. And then by the time we put them into the South Pole, it's even, it's a uh, minute. But um, the Barzanas, uh, like I said, they were called the hardy breed. And when we crossed them on the, I used, pretty much used the Barzana bull on the Hereford cow. So the Hereford cow could raise um, the calf and it would have the disposition of the old gentle Hereford cow. Cause I, I was bent on having a gentle animal that we could use in rotational grazing. I started using a, a guy named uh, Leith Pemberton came through here from New Zealand back about 87, I guess it was, and kind of turned me on to rotational grazing. And so I, that was kind of my goal from the start was to try to breed an animal that was acceptable carcass that would fit in with Hereford Angus on carcass quality. Um, and that was also adapted to the environment that you could use in rotational grazing programs. 
Um, and when I started, I did it all wrong. Uh, you know, in 87, I started trying to rotational graze and I eat my grass too short and the cows weren't adapted to stand out there on the grass. So I was kind of shooting myself in the foot, uh, you know, uh, to start with. And then I, that's one reason I said that, that later on I said, well, I got to have something that's adapted to the environment here. So my choices were not very many. So that's the reason, really the reason far start in the South Pole. But um, about early 90s, the first four-way crosses uh, of, the, of the Santa Pole, Red Angus, Barzon and Hereford, the four breeds that wound up going into the South Pole. It was early 90s when the first one started hitting the ground. Um, and of course, all we had at the time was a, a big hybrid. Uh, you know, we had no genetic uh, concentration in order to move them forward. And so they were a lot bigger, they were taller and rangier. And, um, that's what we had to start with. Uh, but from there, we started really trying to downsize, uh, keep the, the smaller cows that were deeper bodied uh, as we went along. And, and uh, the, the Trask Herford brought a lot of that to the table, a lot of the, the thickness and barrel and, and guts. Um, the, um, so it took us a, a few years to kind of get the breed settled down to where we started line breeding and it's taken a bunch of years to get to the point now where we have uh, line bred bulls that go back uh, to the right cows that we got that are the right size that will give us that uniformity and consistency going forward that we strive to, to, to get. But um, the um, that's kind of a history of how we got to, to this point today of, of how I put the breed together. And uh, now if you get some questions about uh, in particular, I'll be happy. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, uh, you know, I was, I was wondering how you, how you did pick out which breeds um, of, of cattle you were going to use for this composition, which is now known as the South Pole grass cattle. Um, and then I don't want to go too much into the history because uh, for folks who don't know, there is, I did record you a couple years ago giving uh, a presentation on the history of the breed, and you did a great job, and that is on the South Pole Grass Cattle Association's YouTube channel. So if you want a good full history that Teddy gave a couple years ago, that's what I'd recommend. I might try to make that into a podcast as well, just so you can listen to it. Um, but you, you did a great job of going over the breeds and kind of a little bit of how they um, contributed and I know that there was probably a lot of, um, you know, it's not just the Hereford breed. There's probably genetics within the Hereford breed that you were finding out over time that you liked. Same for Ang the Red Angus and the Barzona and the Semipole, um, that they all contributed to certain, just like, you know, I've got South Pole cattle. There's certain genetics within certain animals that I really love that do really well in my environment. And there's some genetics in some of the South Pole animals that don't do well. And so it's always this kind of um, picking and choosing and, and managing those genetics as well, which I'm sure you, you, you were doing for a couple of decades here. At one time we had three to 400 of each breed and we wound up, I think uh, looking back, I think there was like uh, no more than five cows from, from from each breed that wound up really contributing. Uh, it was less than I think it was like around two percent that, that, that we figured two to three percent of the cows 
that we tried to to use those the very best going forward. And that's to me that's the reason why we on a on a consistency basis I think the South Pole, and and we finally narrowed down you know after we started putting it together we finally narrowed down what we really wanted to do. Even though it kind of started as carcass of uh, quality, uh, it didn't wind up being that. We you know we said as long as we're okay, as long as we're acceptable and uh, uh, we're in the middle of the pack carcass wise. Uh, then we're okay. We didn't want to try to maximize the carcass end of it. We, as we got into it, we said, well, let's concentrate on fertility and longevity. Those are the, th and that's when I decided, when we decided to call it the Southern Mama Cow, um, is uh, we wanted to be uh, that Mama Cow, maternal uh, fertility and longevity cows that gave you a calf every year within that, uh, within the calving season. Uh, wean, uh, an unassisted calf that weaned off a good calf that was healthy and um, do it for uh, until they were 15 or 20 years old. And that was, that's where we have chosen to uh, stake our claim on the Southern Mama Cow is that I think if you have a hundred heifers of any breed, you can run a hundred South Pole against them. And I think I have to keep up with records. And I think after 15 years, I think it would be hard for any other breed to, compete with the South Pole as far as efficiency off of grass. And if you never gave them any corn and just made them make a living off of what you raise off of Forbes. Forbes. Um, but that's, uh, you know, that's what we've chosen to try to be best at. And I, I tell our breeders that uh, if we stick to our guns in 10 to 15 years down the road, nobody uh, we'll even be close to us. We're kind of uh, in a class by ourselves. Nobody's really doing exactly what we're trying to do. Uh, and a cow can't be like a, um, a Swiss army knife. It can't do everything that we need to do. It can't be the most best marble in the best, best biggest real buy, um, you know, uh, the best carcass and still be the very best mama cow out there. Um, so, um, I feel it's more important we concentrate on uh, the maternal traits, the fertility and longevity and uh, good udder structure, which uh, I'll back up and say that it all starts with good udder structure. That's the, that's the cows that we had to pick from each breed to make sure. Like with a centipole, a high percentage of the centipole breed uh, milk too heavy. So they you know those udders would go out by the time those cows were eight or nine years old. A lot of times the udders were gone. So that's the reason I think the South Pole is the best combination of everything involved. We've got a lot of good help on the udders from the Barzonas. Barzonas had those tight udders, those small teats. And if they had a big udder, it got drug off in the cactus and they, they didn't have a calf when they come in, so they got culled. So, you know, a lot of Mother Nature did a lot of good things right for the Barzonas, including small calves. If they had a big calf, they died out there with it. But nobody, nobody was there with a set of pullers, you know. So we have uh, we're so blessed in the south pole that we do a lot of things right which starts with birth weight you know we average 45 to 60 pounds uh, pretty much across the board uh, on cows and heifers and uh, you know I, I i don't want uh, my cow to have any bigger calf than my first calf ever did if we have a, a 45 50 pound calf and it's healthy and it gets up in five or ten minutes and nurses and, and bucking around and having it's, it's healthy and, and ready to go in life then the mama and the baby both are a lot better off. She's not stressed as much having a big calf. She cycles back quicker. It's common sense. I, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things we do in the South Pole 
or common sense. I learned a lot of mistakes that, that were made by what I thought were made by the other breeds that I was involved with before we started the South Pole, uh, of which um, showing, uh, you know, showing cattle in competition was one of those things that I felt never helped the breed. Um, I saw national champions that never saw any, you know, five years later, you, you couldn't find a daughter out of those bulls. So you couldn't talk, call them maternal bulls, even though Herefords and Angus are maternal breeds. Uh, I think we just got our cattle way too big for one thing over the years. And uh, to be an efficient cow, all of our data tells us about a thousand pound cow is, you know, give or take a hundred pounds according to your environment and how good of groceries you got. But about a thousand pound cow is the most efficient cow that we, we have. She weans close to 50% of her body weight and still breeds back. She don't eat you out of house and home. Um, you know, a cow eats her weight about every 30 days and something, you know, where it's hay or grass or whatever it is, and it ain't free. So a 15 pound cow, 1500 pound cow, uh, I use the example all the time of give me three 1000 pound cows and you have two 1500 pound cows and we eat in the same amount of, of, of groceries. But at the end of the year, um, the 1000 pound cows uh, will have about a 90% breed up in the commercial environment from the data we've seen over the years. And those 1500 pound cows will have about an 80% breed up in, in the Cabin because they're bigger, they're stressed more. They have to if the if their groceries get a little thin, then they they don't cycle. They cut back on their milk. They don't cycle. And the, the little cow, she can get by on less. And and uh, and even in those hard times, she can come through them and still cycle and still raise a calf. And so, um, what dictates e economics is really what tries to dictate. What I figure dictates the size cow we should have. It's not my preference of, uh, of, of wanting a big cow. If you, if I tell people, if you like big cows, you can afford a big cow, have big cows. That's what turns you on, you know. But if you if you had to make money and uh, the commercial end of it, you need every cow to give you a calf every year for as long as possible. And that cow to eat as little as possible and still give you the acceptable a calf. And this is a pretty simple approach. It's not, you know, you can, you can get off on fringes and say, well, um, um, you know, this, uh, you get into extremes on marbling and or real by, and it, it causes you other problems, issues, infertility and stuff, you know, going down the road. A, a big real buy is a lot of maintenance. You know, you don't want to, I don't want a big real buy. Is it, if a cow with a big real buy, she'd be the first one to come up open or not breed back because she's got so much to maintenance. Again, common sense. And I'm not, I have a high school education. Uh, but I put myself through college in the back of a bus and I talk genetics with about anybody out there as far as common sense genetics of, of, of what we're trying to do and how we're trying to, to, to get there. Um, I had a problem with EPDs. I, th I thought the EPDs had probably hurt other breeds more than it helped them because people have a, a tendency to want to maximize. Uh, and if, uh, 50 yearling weight was good 100 yearling weight must be twice as good you know but that's not the case when it comes to maternal cattle bigger is better and that's, that that rule is broken when you're talking about maternal cattle and, and trying to make a living off of cattle um and the bigger an animal is seems like too structure wise those animals break down sooner and at eight or nine year old i've seen those cows that look old uh bulls that were four or five years old uh, too big and uh, they couldn't get around anymore they couldn't breed we got south bulls that are breeding and they're still 
10, 12 years old, and I still out there breeding cows. And uh, cows that are that still at 15 still uh, are have a youthful look about them. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not getting around like they're stove up. They're, they got still got good udders. They've given you a calf every year. And that, those are the cows I take my hat off to and say, you girls make, are making me proud. Well, let's talk a little bit about animal selection since we're kind of on that topic. And you've already kind of gone over some things. Obviously, if you're keeping records and she's producing you a calf every year and she um, can stay within your herd for, you know, 50, we're talking about 15. I know you've got older cows in that 20, probably in their 20s. Some of them still churning out calves. And it's funny because in the modern cattle, cattle business today, there are a lot of folks talk about by the time your cow is eight, nine, 10, you start thinking about calling her because she's about run out. And we're talking about that's your cow's in your prime and you need to get another good decade out of her. And I've been in the sample breed for 15 years now, and we've got cows in their upper teens, 19, getting pushing 20 that are still in our herd, still turning them out. But are there any... In your herd specifically, and I'm not talking about every all these herds that you've seen over the years, because I know you've seen a lot of cattle uh, south poles over the years, but your herd specifically, what characteristics, if there are any, are you specifically looking for in your cattle besides that they're having a calf for you every year and they're staying in the herd? Are there anything specifically? You, you've talked about the udder already, um, maintaining a good udder. Um, what about structure of the cattle, big gut, feet? hair coat fly low like what other things are you looking for in, in your top females well the cows that put it together best i guess overall uh and i, I talk i talk about selecting bulls i want to select a bull that's the best average bull i've got and that, that means uh, he don't have to be extreme anywhere except if he's put it all together if his mama's got a great udder and she's she, especially the older she is if she's if I got a 15-year-old cow that's still got a great udder and she's never missed and she gives me a bull calf, I can close my eyes and use him. I ain't got to – he ain't got to be – he ain't got to knock you out with we're going out there and say, wow, you know, look what – because the more line, the more inbred or line bred, inbreeding to me – let me talk just a little bit about that. Uh, to me, line breeding is not getting much over 50% of any one animal's genetics in that pedigree. In other words – Grandma could be the same grandma uh, four times back there, same grandma, and you got 50% of her genetics in your calf. But if you breed a sire to his daughter, you've got 75% of that sire's blood in the resulting animal, which is inbreeding to me, and you're going to run into some problems there. It works beautifully when it works. Some of the, some of the best uh purebred animals that i've run into were uh, most of them were accidents where a, uh, a sire bred the daughter or a son bred the mother or something like that but uh, uh you will run into some problems if you get over 50 percent in my uh, uh in my opinion but line breeding is essential that we have a concentration of genetics that can reproduce themselves but the first thing I look at on a cow when I look at it is, is, it, is she adapted to her environment? Is she slick hired? Is she, is she, come June, she needs to be slicked off in my environment and be slick. If she's, got, she's holding hair, then she's not, when 90 degree heat gets here and the fescue gets kind of warmed up, she's not going to be happy. And, you know, she's not going to be, she's not going to be milking and cycling and doing everything that the cow should be doing. Um, and then 
but you know, the further the south, the less quality forage you got, the more good you have to have on these animals. You get down in the Bahia grass and Bermuda grass belt, and those cattle they can't be very tall. They need they need the, the size needs to be in gut and, and big around because they got to consume so much more groceries, and they're not going to be very big. Probably 800, 850 pound, at most a 900 pound cow in those environments is what's going to be what's going to work. What's going to be breeding back early and, and having you a calf every year and and doing it on those uh, low quality forages, but that's again, it's common sense. Uh, you know, the, the better groceries you got, I, I can maintain on my farm about a thousand fifty pound cow. It seems to be the most ideal cow, but I have really good groceries. I have a, a smorgasbord of, of different grasses for them that, that they like. And so if, if a cow, if she can't get bred and have a calf on my farm, then it's uh, it's her fault, not mine. Gotcha. Well, that's good advice. And yeah, it seems like, um, for me, a lot of what I hear, a lot of folks that are successful in the farming business, observation seems to be really your number one skill at this point in time. And if you can go out and observe your cattle herd, you, you can pretty much tell who's thriving and who's not. And obviously the ones that are laden with flies or have that thick scruffy hair in the middle of summer or, or a bit thinner, can't handle your forage, your environment. Obviously they're not happy. They're not thriving. And, and those are the ones that sh probably should go first. And, they um, will, and, you know, and nothing beats a good set of records. A good set of records will beat mine your eye every time. I mean, we, some things we can see, like you said, you know, if she's got, she's holding hair and a bunch of flies are on her, then uh, if her, uh, hormones aren't working or whatever you can see that with your eye but that those are the cows that are going to come up late or open mother nature will take care of of, of the weak sisters i call it uh but uh if you keep a good set of records you mark down that that cow was open and she or she was she caved in the last uh week of the cycle this year and then came up open next year in that same period of time those cows there was a they eliminate themselves if we keep good records that's the reason I tell people: if you keep a good set of records on your cows, like you said, if you've been, you've been if you got fifteen years of records, I can come to your farm and it take me about fifteen minutes to pick out which cows are the most profitable cows in your herd and which ones have been there and made you money for the longest period of time. And that's what we're trying to identify, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what are the what are the most basic records that you keep on your farm? Obviously, we just talked about calving. So, when she had a calf. Uh, well, it starts with uh, the things that we do is, is uh, we feel is, is um, birth weight is the first thing that we do. And it takes a little time to, to weigh to weigh the case. But again, if we're going to have that's one of the things we need to be exact about is that our birth weights uh, that way uh, we got to control that because it's that's that's the start of life. And if, if you don't have a live calf, you have nothing. And so we figure that that's that's super important. So we, we take birth weights and then the next weights we take, we're not really that concerned about growth. I mean, um, growth is a matter of management and groceries and you make a cow as big as you want or you may, uh, but the rougher you are on your cows, I mean, the less quality groceries you got, the smaller framed and the, the, you, you the smaller cows are going to always win out in a tougher environment. But um, the, we leave our calves on until, uh, 45 to 60 days before the cow, the cows calve again. I leave them on all winter. So the calves will be nine, 
months old, 10 months old before we wean the heifers. The bulls, I may wean my bulls at maybe about uh, eight months old. And I go, I try, I, if not, I'll separate the bulls and the heifers into two groups at, at about seven months old and, and, and run them that way because otherwise we'll have heifers that are cycling. And we'll have uh, eight, eight, nine month old bulls that have been known to breed and get them pregnant. So uh, it's, uh, I guess you can't be too fertile, but that's some of the things uh, that happen when you, um, is that those heifers are starting to cycle, uh, you know, before, sometimes before we even wean them off of mama. But the mamas, most of the time, they, 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 it's more of a comfort thing. They're not giving that much milk, you know, but just leaving the calf on, and, it may, and there's one or two times a day, it may not be getting but a mouthful of milk at that point. Or she may have dried up and kicked the calf off at that time, but it's still comfortable being around mama. So the less stress we can put on these calves, the better off. And, and then when we do wean them, we do across the fence weaning, and the cows, they, they may ball for a day or a few hours and then with the calves they come up and smell mama through the fence and then they go on and they're eating grass like they normally did but across the fence wind is what we uh we do and i think it's uh it's a wonderful tool you can use in in, in leaning but that's how we and then we the weight wise uh we like we like to keep those heifers gaining on the gain after we after we wean them all our calves we like to keep them on the game but especially the heifers we, we're asking them to breed and calves a two-year-old. So I think it's a critical time that we need, if you need to put a, a couple hundred dollars in that cat and in, in, in those heifers in the form of a little bit of high quality hay or something to keep them uh, gaining, uh, I don't know, no corn, but high quality hay, if you can get some, so that those heifers are still gaining a pound, pound and a quarter a day, minimum through the winter, then they're ready, they're, they're weighing, I like for them to be weighing 60, 65 percent of the mature weight when we turn bulls out with them, um, and in July, and we we turn bulls out around the first of July. We cave in April, um, and the breed, they have to breed during the hottest month of the year. Uh, so that's uh, but that's when our best grass is coming is, is June, July. Um, so May, June, July is our best our, our best grass. So that's when we want our calves. The cows are, they're milking and they've got good groceries and the calves are starting to eat a little grass by that time. Um, but um, then when, when the cows, uh, then just, just taking good, because if you get a, these cattle are genetically able to calve at two years old, unless you stress them young and, and don't, they can't, if you go, if they go through the winter and they, they've gained a quarter of a pound or they haven't, they just sat there and haven't gained any weight, then you may have to calve at three. But to lose a calf is worth a couple, you know, if, if you get a live calf at two year old and it's healthy and, and mama's ready to go, it's worth a couple hundred bucks. You, know, you got a $500 calf, so if you spent 200 bucks to get it, that pencils out, I can tell people. But mm -hmm. these cattle are, they, they're, they should be through growing by the time they're 12, 13, 14 months old as far as any more height goes and they should start filling out. And, uh, but, you know, two inches off, and those cattle are going, they're late maturing. They're, you know, they're not going to be uh, cycling and, and ready to breed and, and, and all that as a two-year-old. You have to have cattle that are genetically ready to calve as a two-year-old. And that means that they are sexually mature and they are, they're ready to go. And we don't show our first calf ever any 
special treatment than we do our cows. From the time that cow calves, she should go in with the cow herd. She shouldn't have to be supplemented on her own in order to get her to breed back and raise a calf the first year. That's BS. We, genetics control everything. And if you got your right genetics right, everything else falls into place. And also I've heard if they are capable of calving it too, and, and a lot, our, our zoo as well, um, that just meet, goes to show that they are fertile, which means that they will probably breed back every year versus if they can't get bred, you know, your cabin at three, well, the fertility might not be as high and in, in those animals. And that's not the genetics you really want to be spreading around. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you get, you get things out, out of, uh, out of whack, but as long as uh, those cattle are pretty much, they should be, have the, the two-year-old should have the shape of a cow. They should, if they're still growing, they're going to be slab-sided and, and not, you know I'm saying, they're not filling out. They're still, still growing height. That's not what we want. We want them filling out from the time they're about, well, 12, 13, 14 months old. They should, they should start looking like a cow from then on. Uh, and, um, but our, our cows, uh, calving, uh, I don't know, I don't know how long it's been. I, I was telling Dave here today, our our calf pullers are rusty. They're they're laying in the barn in the back of the barn. Uh, we haven't used them in five or six years that I know of. So well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing for sure. Well, let's. I want to switch topics just a little bit here because I got a couple other questions. Okay. Um, and I know you're a really big proponent of young farmers, especially our youth. Um, I know you 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 just think very highly of getting them involved in farming so that you know it's all about the next generation if uh, there's there's going to be a lot of transitioning happening in the next decade or two when it comes to farmers and ranchers um and 15 years ago when I got when we got into the breed that was one of the things about a talk that you'd said saying that this this breed was more economical and more efficient and that's one thing that I was like okay that's that's ringing a bell to me because Farming was what I wanted to do as, as my livelihood. And um, we definitely have seen that this breed has been a lot more economically friendly for us than the breeds that we were raising before. But I'm going to give you a scenario. And I'd like to get just your opinion on it real fast. And let's say that there's a young farmer rancher already in, in the breed. Um, and this goes for any breed, not just South Pole, but because we're talking about South Poles, he's got all South Pole cattle and um, he, she, whatever, you know, maybe it's me, a female rancher here, but um, let's say, you know, 50% of their herd is doing good, giving a calf every year, has good characteristics, looks like they're doing great. And the other half just is lagging. They're mediocre. They're okay, but they're not really thriving. What do you think is a good way of, of, continuing to get into this breed because we know as you know and i know cattle prices are pretty high right now not just in the market itself but the south pole females that, and and bulls too the, the price has gone quite a bit higher in the last few years um than it was just three or four years ago so for young people looking to get into the breed or or call out some of their cows and can and buy back some to get you know more of those those genetics that fit for them in their farm operation into their their farms. Are there any strategies that you can that you can think of that would be helpful for young farmers, um, either yeah. trying to get into South Pole or or 
do better with what they got. Yeah, I think one of the 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 really good things about our breed is that you can buy semen on our very best bulls if you're a member for around 10, 15 bucks a straw. Uh, and um, if you do your homework, you can really improve your herd amazingly in one generation. Those cows that are marginal cows, if they're still giving you a calf, uh, then AIM, maybe consider AIM to one of the top bulls. And then you can make faster progress in the resulting calves if you start stacking those. Um, you know, I line breed the cows. Some people line breed the bulls. I line breed the cows because we're a maternal breed. And I figure that if a cow is 15 years old and she's never missed, that's the kind of cows I want to stick in my pedigree. She's the right size, shape. She's done everything I ask her to do. I want more of them, you know. Uh, and so I'll stack those cows in the pedigree. But um, it's a... Uh, um, excuse me for one second there. Um, but it's uh, the young people that are coming on. Um, you know, we they have a they have an opportunity. I mean, back when I was a kid, there was no grade duties. There was no uh, place you could go and really learn uh, about um, how to how the system, how to do the right system, and then there wasn't the right tools. There weren't, there weren't South Poles back then. So, I mean, you had to, but now I think, you know, because of the work we've done over the years and our, uh, the work that's been done on grass programs and on mob grazing and on uh, the genetics, like the South Poles that we have now. Um, but the, the technology and the, the system and the genetics are there for people to make a living in the cattle business again. And the young people that want to get in, that's reason, uh, we have a program. So we, we donate, if, if a young man writes me a letter and convinces me that he is in it for the right reason, he wants to have South Pole heifer for the right reason. And that's what he's going to do with his life is try to be a calibrator. I'm giving away heifers and I try to give them a good one. Not just one that's Harry or Cole. I try to give them a good one. It's going to be with them for 12, 15 years and kind of give them a good start. And I challenge other breeders out there to do the same thing that I'm doing is that as you, you know, uh, as you, if, if it's just you know how to do it all, uh, every year but every once in a while if you've run across that kid you think deserves a uh, a shot and maybe he don't have the money or his family don't have the money to to go out and pay like you said the south poles are pretty expensive right now but you know the market you know i fought it for a while but the market people make the market and i, I warn people don't you, you can pay too much for these cows just because it's the south pole doesn't mean that that's magical don't, don't mean that it's a great one uh, you know, there's 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 some, still some sorry South Poles out there. Thankfully, there's very few of them, but there are some. So you got to you know, study your lesson, know what you're trying to do, uh, but uh, buy them for the right reasons, and let's teach our kids for the right reason. That's the reason I've got anti-show. I, you know, I think the only thing the show ring does for the kids is teach them to work and, and hard work of trying to clip an animal, groom an animal, and again, you're doing that in an environment, you're putting a fan on an animal and trying to grow hair so you can cover up faults. So you, some judge will say this is the best heifer out there, which he's an idiot. There's no way that a judge can look at a female and say, well, this is the best female out here today. 10 years down the road, I can tell you which, if you keep those records we're talking about, then I can tell you which animal out there was the best that day. But, but until then, there's no way a judge can look at a female and say, well, that female is going to be here 15 years from now and have 13 calves. 
and that's what I and and the show ring. I I fed, I fixed. I just figured it led to more faults of picking the wrong cattle. The cattle were too big that really wouldn't go out there in the commercial world and make a living for themselves. So why do it? So that's the reason I'm uh, in South Pole. Let's spend our time educating those kids on making a living off the farm, not on trying to get a damn blue ribbon out there at the county fair. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I mean, if they enjoy that and they enjoy showing the, the sheep or the uh, cattle or whatever it is, a steer or whatever it is, but don't build your whole farm's breeding decision off of some, what some show ring judge says out there. Use records. Use your neighbor's records. has been doing it, like you said, for 15 years. Come to your farm and look at your records. Does that make some sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yep. No, that's that's great. You know, I, I showed steers a couple times in the fair as a kid, and it was a great experience. I loved doing it. I did it for a couple years, but I know <laughs> I never won first place. I had Black Angus at that point in my life, but um, it was still fun. It was an experience, but I agree. A lot of those animals do fall apart when they put them on pasture, especially in these grazing systems. I've heard of other folks um, getting getting into rotational grazing Bob grazing, adaptive grazing, whatever kind people, of If people want to do that, I don't have a problem with doing that and the kids doing that, as long as they don't confuse it with trying to make a living. Sure. You know, we yeah, should yeah. teach two different things. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, this, is, this is what you need if you're going to make a living in the real world on cattle or, or whatever it is. And this is fun and games and, and photos and ego. <laughs> That's right. You know, and... and uh, yeah. Um, well, let's switch topics. I got two more questions for you real fast. If you got yes, a couple more minutes. Um, and this, this is a kind of a multi faceted question here. And I've, I've heard you talk about, um, South pole steers and correct me if I'm misquoting your words, you almost use them as, uh, steers are kind of like a, a byproduct versus the female. It's a maternal breed. We're focused on females. However, half your calf crop is going to be steers every year. So for folks here in the East, I'm here in Virginia, you're in Alabama, red-hided animals, if you sell them at the stockyard, get deducted um, because they're red hides. And especially in my area in Virginia, if they're black-hided, you will be better off. Yeah, I don't sell to the stockyard because of that yeah, reason. That, that was um, So I, I found my own markets because people have who have tried the South Pole steers uh tend to be repeat customers because they see that they actually do well on forage only and they can outcompete other breeds but again for a young person ish here i'm looking at cash flow i need i need to get my farm my farm has to stay cash flowing and i get half half steers every year so um what would you suggest to folks uh looking to to market their steers because I think if more people had places to market the South Pole steers, more people would be interested in the breed. Okay, well, what we got to do is, is educate those people on what we're trying to do. The female is the gold mine in our breed. What are you females bringing right now? Good you, money. You, have you sold in your females? Not this year. I, 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 I just bought a cow and I give $5,500 for a cow and a bull calf. Mm -hmm um yeah they're high but, but what i'm saying is that irrelevant of what that steer brought mm -hmm. your females they're bringing two to three times what a steer brings right yep 
So it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant what a steer brought. We, you want to get all you can out of him, but it's your fault if you're selling him for under market because you have not went out and done your job on finding the right market. There's people out there who want those South Pole steers if they ain't been implanted and, and you know, and, they, and as, as just natural beef. Even if they're going into a feedlot, these animals perform well in a feedlot. They'll gain, you know, we've have we've documented where they'll gain over four pounds a day, but they won't do it for 200 days. You know, they they finish it 50, 60, 70 days and they, they're finished. But the steers, you have to develop your own market for those steers. But even at the worst, even if you sell them at the sale, sale, sale barn and take a, a little docking on them, if you look, if you if you if your females back in your pasture. Or worth two to three times what those steers in, then which direction are you going to breed for? Are you going to breed to try to make, make more out of your steer next year by sacrificing the traits that go into your females, like black and growth and things like that? No. You know, if maternal, stick to what we do best, stick to our maternal roots, and then work on developing your steer market. Where do you see, where do you see the South Pole breed in another 10, 15, 20 years? I already Probably. see at the stockyard where more folks are going towards the red-hided animals, um, um, which I think is great. But where do you see this breed in another, or where do you see it? Where do you hope to see it? Well, I think in, if the world holds together, I think in 30 or 40 years across the South, it'll be a majority of South Poles. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about 90% South Poles. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but I'd like to put all the auctioneers and ring men and sale barns out of business because we don't need them. They don't, they have they don't put any extra value into our cattle. And as a purebred breed, if we're able to right now to not have sales, that's about 15 to 20% that we can save for the, for the producer and the buyer. And I, th I think the South Pole, the way we've got it set up now, so we don't, we don't, nobody, we, I think, I recall one sale, I think, that, of a farm that had a sale. Otherwise, we have a little association sale and stuff like that, but we don't, you know, it's having, having, having a sale ring and the auctioneer and the ring man and all the blow and, 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 and hype and, and BS that goes with having a period. Let the records speak for themselves and let people come out here and do a cowboy auction so that, if, if I'm on a bid, I hold up my card and everybody else can see who's bidding on it too. There's no birds in the rafters that we're taking bids from. I guess the, honest, uh, the honesty and straightforwardness of merchandising good cattle at a fire price can be done between two people. And I believe that we don't need a third party to do that. Nice. And I mean, I, I haven't, the last time, I went to, to and sold some cattle at, at the sale barn out here. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but they, I got them there around noon and they told me they'll sell about five. I got there at five and they didn't sell till nine o'clock that night. There was two buyers there and I was sitting there watching my steer sell for 20 to 30 cents below market price because one guy'd buy one. There was two buyers left in there. One would buy one, the other would buy one. He'd buy one. They had it worked out. I went to the sale bar manager. I said, you have, you have sold my last steer here and I haven't been back since, but I mean, but that they, they, they took advantage that they were doing what they do, but again, it was hurt. It was hurting, hurting me. So 
um, I now try, we, we, uh, we either merchandise our own steers or feed some out ourselves and, and, and sell them for a few bees, you know, um, but, um, ever what I get for the steers is, is icing on the cake for the females. What advice would you give, uh, a young farmer, um, looking to, looking to make a decent profit, but also be ecologically friendly right now in the cattle business. Let's say a 20, 25 year old person who has got a little money saved up can buy maybe five head of cattle to start them off. What kind of advice would you give um, a young farmer like that? Well, I mean, do your homework, uh, you know, make sure you got your system down, uh, make, make sure you got to have, get things in order. A lot of people get excited about the cattle business and get out here and get cows and they they don't have any electric fencing they don't have any water uh you know they 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 get the court the car ahead of the horse i call it but you know if you want to uh if you're gonna make a living with cattle first first thing you gotta have you need grass and and so you know and how to how, how to manage cattle on moving on that grass and then the second thing you need is water I guess you need water first, really, but 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 again, uh, those two things between water and grass and electric fence, and you you can you can uh, move cows, but uh, uh, you know, do your homework and find out cattle that somebody that manages how you're going to manage. You know, if you're going to do like Graves Uni, go to Graves and learn the system, learn how he does it. You know, and um, uh, learn a little bit about. Uh, working facilities temple grandin i mean check out you know what does a cow like to do they like to go in circles so you know when you when they fall on each other you know but they don't like to go in a, in a straight line especially if they stuff out there that that's kind of spooky to them something blowing in the wind uh, but um you know cattle uh working cattle can be wonderful you know but you can do more damage to cattle in the back of the lot back there with somebody don't know what they're doing bud williams they should every employee that comes to work for me has to watch the bud williams how to work cattle tape of standing in one spot and letting letting you know you know of how to how to react to the how to identify the cow in there that's the first flighty and then the second flighty and then you know get uh, and I tell people the same thing on disposition of cattle. If you got one wild one, get rid of her, because eventually she's going to lead some more to being wild or run through the tape. Or I, you know, don't uh, I, I don't put it up. If I have a tape jumper or something that don't, don't tape break. I get rid of them uh, because eventually she'll have somebody else to say, "Well, if she can do it, I can do it." So, um, but you know, yeah, like I said, the system and the genetics are there to make a living for the young cattlemen coming on today more than more so than it's ever been. Uh, but don't, 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 first of all, do your own research. Um, know what you try to, so you confident in you stepping out and knowing what you're doing and don't go off some guy down the street telling you to get black cows because the calves are bringing 10 cents more a pound in the stock barn. Uh, and they totally fall apart in your pasture and they're standing in the pond with a nose sticking out. Then you've, then you realize, wow, maybe I shouldn't have bought black cows. But, you know, study, you know, our young people are coming on today, they're smarter than any of us. And they're, they're going to figure it out. But the work that we've done to help them get to this point, I think, you know, a lot of them, uh, we've made, we, we could make, uh, took a lot of time off of what it would have took them to get to this point.
Absolutely. That's some great advice, Teddy, really is. And um, hopefully folks will glean some some of your advice that you gave us today. And I know that you, if people want to come see you speak in person, you are going to be talking at the uh, South Pole Field Day this year, correct? Yes, ma'am. So for anyone who wants to, to see Teddy talk, um, it's going to be the 15th annual South Pole Field Day and cattle auction happening September 22nd, 23rd, 2023 in Albertsville, Alabama. Albertsville. At Alberts, Albertville. Sorry, I always put an S on that. Um, Albertville, Alabama, yeah. at the Creech Farm. And um, Teddy, what what topic will you be talking about? History of South Pole breed, or or something well, I, else? I, I give I give a brief history, but mostly what I try to do is kind of lay out where are we at now and where we're trying to go with the breed, as far as the way uh, I, I I would like to see the breed go. Um, I think that we're doing a lot of things right. We're attracting a lot of people of, of, of people that call it reality. We're not we're not blue smoke and mirrors of, of trying to uh, we're trying to keep it real and, and everything above board and, and so that people can see what we're doing, why we're doing it and how we're doing it. And then uh, but I, I warn people the same thing is that you can pay too much for these cattle. They're hot right now. I mean, South Pole, uh, you go to a South Pole event now and there's uh, more people wanting cattle than there are cattle. So it drives the price up. But, um, but again, um, if a cow's going to leave, uh, the average cow in America now, I think average is four, four and a half calves. So, you know, we can double that easily, you know, as a breed. And if we do that, you know, what does that mean? It means a lot more uh, cash in the, in the producer's pocket down the road. Uh, without having to replace those cows every uh, five or six years, seven years, you know, eight years, and they're out of the herd. But um, the best cow in your place will be the cow that produces the most pounds of weight, healthy weight, no problems, never having her in the sick pen, never pulling a calf. But she has you a calf in season every year for the longest period of time. That's the most profitable cow in your herd. It's a simple equation, right? So, I mean, if you, if you keep up with it, it's simple. You can look at the piece of paper, it, it won't lie. If she missed last year, she missed. If she calved last year, it's there. And let's let's do this maternal index. Let's concentrate on what we do best. And like I said earlier, quit trying to be everything to everybody. Um, uh, we may not have the, the highest price steers in the world, but when people find out, in the meat business that these South Poles are really good eating tender meat that has wonderful flavor. We won, I won't even, I don't want to get into it, but we won one of the major uh, taste tests among all the other breeds in the University of Florida. You're welcome to go look at that where they have professional taste testers come in and they grade it. It's a three day event, two or three day event. They grade them on five or six different things and, and a blind taste test. And at the end of the day, South Pole won the whole thing over, all the other breeds that were supposed to be carcass breeds. Uh, but we haven't even went out and really tried to wave that banner and say, look at us, we won this. Because that's not, we want, we want to be okay. As long as we were in the top running or the, the top uh, quality, then we don't care if we won here, if we were second place or third place. As long as we were acceptable meat quality. Because over here, what we're doing on this side on the maternal end of it, 
we're kicking everybody's butt on doing what we're trying to do. Like I said earlier, another, give us another 10 or 15 years of maternal indexing and nobody can catch us in the South. And, and a lot of, a lot of people up North like our cattle too. Yeah, no. And that definitely, um, the adaptability of this breed, I think has been shown because it's now not just in the South anymore. It's all over, you know, Missouri, uh, is a state that has a lot of, uh, South Poles, but also Pennsylvania, you know, I, I've got some folks from up North that come down here for South Poles as well. So it's, it's definitely growing and, and just goes to show the adaptability of this breed, but, you know, if well, in, but people really need to know though, that some of these South Poles are homozygous for the slick hair gene. And you don't want to take those cattle up North because, uh, if they don't have the slick hair gene, they will adapt. They'll grow hair, in, and the longer they're there, the more the better they'll adapt. They'll grow more hair in the wintertime. But body conditioning, I remind people, is as important as as hair. If those cows are keeping them in good body condition, the cows got a good forage available to her to get some fat in the fall. Then the cold weather. I've had, in fact, I've I've saw some uh, online of, of people talking about they had Angus and South Poles up north. One guy was in Pennsylvania and he said, I think the South Pole stood the cold weather better than my Angus cows did. But uh, again, let's not, let's not promote them as everything for everybody. They're not, they were not intended to be a Northern cow, even though some of them, because of the fertility and the longevity and, and being the right kind of cattle, they're, they're probably a better choice up for up North than some of the other breeds. So I see why people are using them up there. But again, I will warn people, make sure Buy them in the wintertime. If you're up north, go to some place in northern Missouri and go in there and pick some cows that have got some hair on them and say, well, these will, uh, they'll, they'll work in my environment too. Great advice. That's great advice, Teddy. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing you at the 15th annual South Pole Field Day and Cattle Auction, uh, 15th. September 22nd, 23rd. Um, 15th? That was seemingly possible. Uh, when you it's said the that. the 15th one. Yep. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that, that, uh, I guess it just didn't hit me that we've been doing this this, this long, but uh, it's a yep. real, um, it's a real tribute to the cattle. Uh, the the cattle are the um, are the stars in this show. And I tell folks, you know, if you're interested in the South Pole breed, if you don't have any, or if you've got, you just want to come and network with people who do and want to learn more about them. If you just want to come see some South Pole cattle, this field day events. These annual field day events are the place to come to. Obviously, Teddy, you're speaking at this year's events about South Poles. Um, and so mm -hmm. I know you're very approachable. So if people have questions and you see Teddy, I suggest go have a conversation with him for sure. Yeah, and we also got Gray Judy, uh, who's uh, speaking this year too. So between me and him, I think we cover a lot of territory for people trying to make a living in the cattle business. Um, I'm excited about the about the event again uh every year we get more and more people that uh i think get educated and see what we're doing and, and say well that that sounds like it, it, it's something i'd like to do too so uh but we're uh my telephone number is 256-996-0777 if you got questions about the south pole or cattle business i don't want to talk music so but but we'll talk cows <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for opening up that uh, avenue of discussion for folks. And you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you at the event, folks. If you're interested in attending the event this year, 
Uh, you can go to southpole.com, southpole, P-O-L-L.com to register for the event. I think today's the 22nd of August. So you got two, three days left to register at the early bird special discounted rate uh, after September 1st, the price does go up. But either way, it's uh, totally worth it with uh, Mr. Tay Gentry and uh, Mr. Greg Judy being our speakers this year. Great event to come to if you want to learn any and all things South Pole. Uh, Teddy, thank you again for uh, giving me some of your time this morning. Is there is there anything else that you would want to share or, or leave our audience with today? Yeah, just, uh, you know, I think the whole... The whole thing with the South Pole and the South Pole people uh, is that um, they're, it's for the right reasons. I think most of the people that are into it are, are not into it for the uh, show and, and, and blow and go and ego. They're in it trying to make a living with it. And we have a good, uh, well, since the very start, I think we have had a great nucleus of people who were involved in the South Pole breed and believed in it and have helped go out and promote it. Um, but, um, you know, I think to keep it real, keep, I think honesty and truth is what I've tried to build this breed on of, of no BS. Let's just, let's let, uh, you know, let's, let's look at the data, let the data tell us what's best instead of going out here and trying to me tell you my bulls better than yours or whatever, you know, let's look at the data and uh, pick cattle for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. And let's educate our young people on how to make a living with the cattle. And let's be very um, generous with our time when it comes to working with young people and also very generous with our money. Let's, we got to support them and help get them started. And because uh, they, they're going to have a lot more people to feed in the world than we, we had when we were you know, starting out. So, um, and South Pole can be a big part of that. I, if if ninety percent of the cattle across the South or South Pole, all across the South, Southeast, South Southern part of the United States, I think we could be, be easily producing ten to fifteen percent more beef uh, for the same amount of dollars invested. And I read, I heard on the news a couple of weeks ago that the United States will be producing two billion pounds less beef this year than last year hmm. two billion pounds and they said they were blaming it mostly on um the drought all the drought the world cattle people can't have to sell off a bunch of cattle yeah but another thing is that we've got our cows so big in this country that our breed up percentage we're talking about it we, we touched on it earlier but we have south pole breeders that are getting 95 plus percent breed up on their cows, calves, uh, on first calf ever, cows across the board, 95 plus percent. And when the national average is around 80, high 80s, 80, um, say, uh, well, on, on again, you break it down, we broke it down to, to different weight cows. The, the, so you get it, the big, you lose about 2% in fertility for every hundred pounds of weight, you go up above a thousand pounds. So there's about 10% fertility difference between a thousand pound cow and a 1500 pound cow. And I mean, that's in the commercial environment. Um, so uh, if, if we, if we look at things in an honest, straightforward way and say, well, um, take, take the ego and take the shows and take the, uh, the, BS out of it and just look at, at records and data. Someday this will happen. 
someday we won't go out here and try to pick out the, the biggest, widest, longest, tallest bull out of the pasture without knowing anything about him and take him home and breed our, uh, base our breeding decision for our future off of him. Educate yourself, folks. Go out there, look at the cows and behind that bull. Look at the cows first. This is the kind of cow that I want in my pasture. Identify her and then use some bulls out of her. But you can't make any progress by using a bull that you know nothing about just because you like the looks of him. Yeah, that's great advice, you know, and and I feel like a lot of the negative uh, situations that we're in now with the cattle that we've been raising have been because of that, that exact reason. And it's time to do things a little bit differently. And um, so, yeah, we're going to have to look back at the, the bull's mothers, the sires, uh, see what they, what they've been producing. That's really the best way that we have um, as South Pole producers to know, to get the best idea. It's all genetics. So there's some chance and variability in there, of course, but um, you know, for us to make the best example, sound. Becky, is if, 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 if you look at the, at the grandmas about three generations back on any bull, if all those grandmas have lived to be 12 to 15 years old and have never missed, then drop down to the mothers, the, the mother of the, of the bulls, same thing there, if they've uh, never missed, then your odd, the way I look at it, you've really increased your odds of the protege being like the grandmas and the mamas. In other words, I, I think that likeness begets likeness is, is if you got very fertile cows and you, and you use bulls out of very fertile cows, that you're going to have a very fertile herd going forward. Uh, if you don't get hung up on the, the, well, the size and the bigness and the length and, and all this real by size, marbling, whatever, uh, you know, we know you can get hung up on one little thing. Cattle business is like that, you know, that game where you, you got a hammer and you hit something and something else pops up over here. You've seen that kid's game. Cattle business is a lot like that. Is it that you can, everything is a reaction to something else. If you, uh, if you get too much marbling, then you ain't got no muscle. If you get too much muscle, then you got no fertility. I mean, so too much of anything is too much. I do not tell you, you know, a balanced animal that's the best average calf that's done everything good. His family has done everything good. They haven't missed. I'll take that record and you can go out here and pick out your best looking calf and I'll, and 10 years down the road, I'll be beating you to death because the records don't lie. And your eye will lie to you sometimes. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, I have, I have a real passion and love for this cattle business and this, this breed. Um, but it's, it's, it's because, I mean, and before we close off, I'll say the good Lord has led me down the road of the South Pole at times when I wanted to give it up. Uh, my wife had encouraged me. She said, well, you've gone too far now. I mean, there, and there's been times when I was told, Gentry, you're crazy. You, the board don't need another breed of cows. You know, what are you doing? This ain't going to last. You know, you, all you're doing is putting put another a bunch of uh, mixed breeds together out here. You know, I mean, I've been told everything, but I felt like that I was doing it for the right reasons and that my intentions were true and honest. And I, and then I feel like now that we've accomplished that we have, we have cattle that are so much better than the, to me that the South pole are so much better than the average cow out there that 
but it's the reason when I said we had all these cows and three or four percent of each breed went in, into the South Pole is that I have we've increased our odds of, of, of being successful by the successful genet genetics that we put into it. Does that make any sense? But anyway, anyway, thank you, Miss Becky, for your uh. I didn't know what we was going to do. Uh, I knew we was going to talk. But anyway, this has been good. Uh, and like I said, if anybody's got any questions, I'm always uh, I'm always willing to talk cows. I love, I love talking cows. Awesome. Or hummingbirds. I like them. I need, we haven't got into my hummingbirds yet. Yeah, we've. I put up a hummingbird feeder a couple of weeks ago. I've been enjoying the hummingbirds myself. Oh, there's so much fun. Up. Huh? I got 44 up. 44 hummingbird feeders <laughs> yeah, i got dozens and dozens of birds in my yard <laughs> oh that's his other pastime yeah often got nothing else to do so <laughs> i love it i love it well teddy it's been a pleasure speaking with you this morning and looking forward to seeing you next month um at the at the field day and cattle auction and looking to catching up then too thank you Miss becky all right see you teddy thank you so much all right bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.